This week on Collector's Corner, we watch the Criterion edition of the 1969 Best Picture winner, Midnight Cowboy by John Schlesinger. Everybody's talking at me. I don't hear words saying. Only the echoes of my mind. People stop and stare. I have a question for you guys, kind of related to this topic of the film that we are going to talk about today. I want you guys to think of your favorite film that takes place in New York City. Um, the first one that comes to mind is Elf. I mean, it's it's just iconic with him walking through Central Park with the Central Park Rangers and Santa Claus and Zoe Deschanel. I mean, that's that's. It was that and then that awkward moment were the first two movies that came to my mind for some reason. <laughs> that awkward moment, seriously? Over uh, Yeah, I don't know. That was the Day first one. Tomorrow, that came to mind. I Am Legend. Come on. Uh, nope, it's it's that awkward moment with Zach that Efron being over okay. a toilet with an erection. Yeah, that's the one. And Elf. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> King Kong. Uh, you know. Nope, not yeah, King Kong. And, and, nope. Really? Okay. Uh, Gains of New I York. was going to go with like either Taxi Driver or um, After Hours, that Scorsese film that we watched. That was a really good New York film. Well, I mean, speaking of the Safdie brothers, Uncut Gems. I fucking love that movie. And that was yeah. another movie that was just the captured the chaos of New York as well. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Very much field. so. Mm-hmm. Well, that feels a good one. It's been a while, but that's a good movie, honestly. Joker. Well, not Joker. Sorry. King of Comedy. What else? There's a lot of New York movies. New York's just the place to go, I guess. If you want a a, a decent story told. Especially if Um, you're a cowboy. Ooh, and especially if you're walking around at midnight. It's kind of similar to the movie Elf, honestly, because he's a fish out of water. Except he's a cowboy, not an elf. So it's like the same movie. Kind of, but not really. Like, at all. No... No remnants of it at all, um, like, other than the Empire comparison. State Building. <laughs> yeah, Zoe de Chanel's not there, and so it's not really the same. Unfortunately, not. But you guys want to get physical? I think it's time. It's about that time. Yeah, I think we could get physical. everyone and welcome to episode 19 of collector's corner i'm your host nate with my buddies john and spencer here uh we do a deep we do a deep dive into our physical media collections um and we just uh see what nasty little film we pull out of our collection and this was my week and i was excited uh the movie i chose i watched it once and i did not like it the first time i saw it but i figured it was the perfect time to uh give it a second chance and that is the film midnight cowboy 1969 directed by john schlesinger why do you think i come all the way up here from texas for well i'm a hustler you didn't know that you were gonna ask me for money huh well you get out of here 
You gotta get yourself some kind of management. Only vehicle. Hey, I'm walking here. I'm walking here. Don't worry about that. Actually, that ain't a bad way to pick up insurance, you know. 88% on Rotten Tomatoes on both scores. Uh, 7.8 on IMDb. 4.0 on Letterboxd pretty highly acclaimed film um but it's about this guy named joe buck who's a wide-eyed hustler from texas who's hoping to score big with the wealthy new york women he finds a companion in enrico Razzo rizzo an ailing swindler with a bum leg in a quixotic fantasy of escaping to florida yeah so when i first watched this one i didn't get it I didn't understand like what the whole point was, what this relationship was. And that was kind of before we started watching movies on a consistent basis. And so finally, after having like 500 so films under our belts, this one kind of clicked this time. But uh, I want to know what you guys, uh, if you guys knew anything about the movie going in, we can uh, start with Mainstream Boy if you'd like. I knew nothing about this movie other than it's a 60s films or a 60s film with Dustin Hoffman and John Voight and it's called Midnight Cowboy. So that's uh that's all I knew going in. Um I had zero expectations. It actually came out mm-hmm. a day after my birthday in 1969. Wow. And it Speaking. won best picture. And it won best so picture, which is worth we, we will we will get into that a little bit towards the second that's, half. That's the only thing that I really knew about this movie is obviously the leads John Voight and Dustin Hoffman, and it won best picture. A pre uh, National that, Treasure, John Voight. Exactly. Oh well, yeah, like fucking forty five years believe before. So. It's fucking two thousand five. <laughs> I didn't recognize him until the fucking credits um, rolled. Honestly, and I knew this movie featured like one of the most famous improv moments to ever exist in cinema history it's the whole hey i'm walking here slams the fucking like hand on the uh taxi cab and that was all like a real moment he almost got hit by a taxi cab and dustin hoffman just stayed in character and played it up and you could tell i when that scene happened i finally was like looking at the extras and they're all like turning and like what the fuck so that's (laughs) the only thing i really knew about (laughs) midnight cowboy he loses his accent he doesn't sound like like if you listen to him when he starts yelling it's not Ratso. It's Dustin Hoffman pissed off. What What did you think going into it, Spencer Boy? Well, yeah. Um. So that's all I really knew about it going in. I didn't know much about the plot. And once I started watching the movie, like it starts out and it's very kind of just upbeat. And it's got that song. I mean, you can play the, the song. fucking mm-hmm. song. Everyone's talking about. I love it. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's like okay. And I love just that song. John Voight just is just like this bumbly looking like like fish out of water just dressed up like a cowboy in texas and he's just like i'm gonna get on bus to new york and i'm gonna go be a hustler and get laid i'm like okay but then as the movie goes on it gets really dark and it explores some themes that i wasn't like expecting like the movie to explore yeah i mean i was kind of surprised by how yeah just kind of how dark this movie was but also it was also pretty impressive for a film in the 1969 I yeah, think that's that's definitely something to be said is that this film follows on some or it follows some themes that you would not expect a film from 1969 to follow. Um, it, it definitely doesn't shy away from those things um, because it 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 slowly follows around pretty much John Voight's or uh, what's his character's name? Joe Buck. Joe Buck. Joe they Buck. Make, my bad. They make it a point to know that that's his name in the beginning. They say Joe Buck like a hundred times. Well, like, where's that Joe Buck? <laughs> his name's Joe Buck. A very Joe a very Buck. 
very cowboy name as a matter of fact uh but the fact that this follows his sexuality throughout the film um is is actually pretty surprising for a film from 1969 especially from the one best picture and got a lot of award accolades so that's definitely something that i didn't expect and it actually took me a while to get into the film because i didn't really realize where it was going at first like it had that very honky song that i was just like Okay, we can stop playing this song, especially the same exact chorus over and over again while he's on the the bus playing his radio. <laughs> like, I know back in the day you had no headphones, but I'm just like, these people on this bus, they're probably there for like 40 hours and he's just like listening to the radio. Like, that's got to be slightly annoying. I mean, he also um, walks down the street while listening to the radio, like, too. It's just pretty funny. It was like, just he, I, I couldn't. At first, I was like, he's such a weird guy. Like, I don't know if I like him. But then you, you finally kind of get to know, like, because they do have some flashbacks from his past, you kind of understand like why he is the way he is and what mm-hmm. he's trying to cover up as well. So there's a lot to this character uh, that it takes a little while to unfold before I fully understood what was going on. Yeah, there there was a lot of moments where they had like flashing montages with a bunch of quick shots where you would kind of you you would see some of the things that were happening, but like Spencer said, really dark stuff. Mm. Like with that mob that like grabs him and his girlfriend, then then like does stuff to him. I didn't pick up on that. I guess the first time around, I guess it just went over my head. Well, the movie does a great job of like splitting it up and like cause it doesn't reveal the flashbacks right away. You kind of get bits here and there as the movie goes mm-hmm. on. And then you kind of understand it's traumatic. Like, the first the weird one why. is in the barber shop with that woman who's like seducing the really old lady who's seducing him. That was the mm-hmm. first one where I was like, that is weird. Like, is am I supposed to think that's weird? Like, I don't know if I'm supposed to in this context, but I, I was uncomfortable. It's just <laughs> a testament to the editing. I think the editing is fantastic in this movie. And just the fact that they were able to take this story, like, it was based on a book. Schlesinger was like, we, we can't change anything. Like, no matter, we got to stay true to this. The producer, Waldo Salt, Actually, no, he wasn't producer. He was the screenwriter. He wrote the screenplay based on the book. And John uh, Schlesinger was like, no, I, I don't care what like the ratings say or anything like that. We just need to make it. And I think it's cool that seeing somebody stay true to a story like this, because it does get dark and gritty and almost nasty to a point where for some people it might be hard to watch because there was that awkward scene of him and that guy in the in the movie and you just see the lengths that joe buck has had to go to to just make a little bit of money but he's always getting swindled like yeah the people he goes to well it's because he trusts he's people not. too much especially in new yeah. york city he's coming from texas where everybody's so happy and giddy and just like easy going and then you come to new york where everybody's a fucking asshole and uh, it's trying to screw you over. It's mm-hmm. so interesting because, like, this movie definitely, yeah. There's a lot more to this movie, like under the surface. Because, yeah, because initially this movie, I was kind of confused. Like, is this movie just like a a buddy comedy? But no, it's very dramatic at times. Like, there's like drug addiction and the the uh, Ratso. He's like a filthy character that just like just is like a literally like a rat. And the apartment that he lives in is just disgusting. And you know they don't have it's not even heat. An and like it's just so dis- <laughs> it's so like run down and everything. But they explore the fact that Joe Buck. I mean, he was raised by his grandmother, and you get weird vibes just from the first like five minutes in that flashback with the grandmother. Like you can tell that she probably molested him. 
or did just abused him. Oh, yeah, he kid. was definitely abused. Hundred percent. It seemed I, very uh, weird and kind of icky with the whole relationship with the grandmother. That's just my interpretation with the flashback. Ex- yeah, because every time I saw the grandmother, I I thought um, his only person that he had because his mother left him. I thought that kind of showed more of a comfortable relationship. Well, they didn't have a, much of a relationship because she just was like, she just sat him down in front of TV all the time. And she's like, oh, I'm going out with like my bow. Like, my grandma's got a new bow. And like, just here's her TV dinner. And he just grew up watching cowboy stuff. And that's just like he grew up and just wanted to be that's a cowboy. All he knew. And it's just At like, at the it's very so least, he was, out he of was date. very neglected. And <laughs> yeah. he had nobody to really go to, especially at the time. In the context of this film, it's like he had nobody to go to to explain his to understand what Problems. was going on in his head. It explains you know? him as a person, yeah, especially as an adult, just all the trauma that's followed him throughout his. That's years. why he seems so weird from the get go as 100%. well, where it's just it, like you can tell that he doesn't even realize that he's trying to cover up his sexuality. Like he really, he's like, mm-hmm. I'm gonna go to New York and meet a bunch of women and do all this and that. It's like he doesn't even know what he's trying to cover up. It's it's actually yeah. A, a, and that's why this movie, I think, I didn't really know like what the story structure was going for, but it really ends up just being a character study on Joe Buck and then Ratso as well. Kind of toward the very end with him, you see him just struggling throughout the film, but he was also a really interesting character. Seeing them play off each other, they didn't really even like each other that much, it didn't seem, you know? And that's like, that's another aspect weird. <laughs> to the movie that I enjoyed because, yeah, they're two just polar opposite characters and yet they're still form this bond that is yeah kind of you know it's hard to take your eyes off the screen just because they're just so entertaining to watch um and it, it, that's a did it turn was there a relationship there because um, there was one I scene where ratso was kind of envisioning them in miami together and they're running on the beach and it was very kind of like i never fully got that vibe but i definitely got a sense of love between them like i just like they oh, of course they respect each yeah. other and it might have been a friendship despite honestly their but it could have been opposites more. i don't know and you can and you, there's there was a shot um when they're at this the weird uh andy warhol party where like yeah. there's all that food and all the people dancing and whatnot, and Ratso puts his head on Joe Buck's chest while he's like wiping the sweat off, and they describe it as like they're doing this unknowingly, and that's what I think I like about their relationship is that they're two misfits from completely different worlds, but they're using each other to get what they want, and they eventually just kind of find out the only people we have is each other. It's almost like fate as well, because in terms of Ratso's case, like he obviously has some serious health problems and like he was lucky to run into Joe Buck toward the end of his life. Make his life worth living. Yeah, because like otherwise he is just a complete loner with nobody there to like see him through, you know, so Mm -hmm. it it, kind of makes sense how somber it is. But like Joe Buck was there for him. So that was, you know, an interesting relationship. But it's so strange how the movie just randomly will get so like upbeat at times, and then like that that song will come in. Everybody's talking at me. They're just kind of walking around New York, they're just kind of having a good time, and then it'll just oh shit, their life sucks. <laughs> yeah, kind of how I, life and, is though. I mean, in a in a sense, I feel like that m- music was like almost telling us, okay, they they kind Very of got deep. stuff under control. And so you're starting to see what they do. Like that music starts playing and they walking down the street and 
Ratso takes that food, that fruit off the cart, and then Joe Buck comes to like save him, kind of thing. So it's almost like their their friendship song, just like oh, well, we go out and scam all these people. Like this is where we're comfortable. I think it's like and a song that when... represents hope, almost. Like it's when mm-hmm. they're like, okay, things are going good, especially at the beginning too. It's like, yeah, I'm gonna make a, yeah. a change in my life and go to New York and. Their American be dream. All right. It's in their head. Yeah. yeah. And exactly, then reality fucking exactly. kicks in. It's like, oh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's like, but oh, when... I have no money to my name. Or I think they probably played the song when he had that one night of being a uh, a gigolo or whatever, which was actually pretty mm-hmm. hilarious, honestly. And they probably played that song like the morning after when he's got, I got 20 bucks in my pocket and he goes on like a shopping spree. Yeah, 20 bucks. Oh my God. Like, imagine that being a I good I spend thing. 20 bucks on Pokemon <laughs> cards every week. Exactly. <laughs> Spend like fifty bucks on liquor. What? Nobody said. But one of the one of the things that really stuck out to me was how uh, Joe Buck had all these different encounters with specific people. Like he uh, met that first that blonde woman that he first met. I think her name's Cass or something. Played by Sylvia Miles, who I don't believe was ever an actor ever. Um, Nominated and she uh, just got supporting. Exactly, and that's was a shock to people um just because of how real she felt just like a desperate woman in new york kind of thing but even the the young guy that joe buck meets the crazy guy who's trying to make him pray like it's putting him in a bunch of uncomfortable situations where it's just peeling off the layers of this joe buck character and learning about who he is and what kind of person he was but dustin hoffman man he he just this was his second film and arguably one of his best performances ever. It's just crazy how talented Dustin Hoffman is. Yeah, so I read that he did this movie directly after The Graduate. And so The Graduate obviously put him to like superstardom and he was getting like recognized on the streets and stuff. And so he, but he was desperate to play this part. And his manager was like, do not take it. You're going to be a fucking disgusting character. People are going to look at you differently. You're going to lose your stardom. Like, don't do it. It's going to be a career-ending performance. And he's like, yeah, fuck you. And so I guess he shows up to the audition, and uh, he is dressed up as a homeless guy outside. And so, like, the casting guy was just, like, kind of waiting for him, and he just gets approached by this homeless guy. He's like, fuck off, dude, and realizes it's Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> it's like, oh, shit. Holy shit, what the You hell? got the part. Yeah, they t- <laughs> <laughs> they talk about that in one of the documentaries yeah. a lot and how he cool. uh, approached them and whatnot. He's just walking down the street of New York. And it's also what um, it's also what De Niro did for Taxi Driver. He just, you know, kind of moonlighted as a taxi driver for a couple of shifts just to kind of see what the character could be like and, you know, to get a, a sense or a feel. Uh, and that's always cool. I think it added to the performance because John Voight and Dustin Hoffman, I mean, their chemistry together is great. And I guess both of them on set had this whole, like, kind of like rivalry a little bit where they're just like really that's your best take like you can't they do never a broke one. character i know exactly they and never they a, they talk just like, like that back and forth like who can one-up each other in performance uh the little competition going so i heard dustin hoffman's kind of like that to begin with yeah I, I he he seems very serious like as a person but he's able to just kind of immerse himself into these characters i don't think anyone else could play him like that because ratso's just this this little worm and it's right in his name ratso he's a rat he's just it's a sewer rizzo. rat that it's oh, it's rico rico it's rico rico but when he first introduces goes into the apartment he's like 
Yeah, you can just sit that down anywhere. <laughs> After, like, John Boyd drops the freezer. And he's like, yeah, so it's not too bad. You want you want to stretch out down here or something? They really made him look disgusting, though. Oh, yeah. Even down to his, like, like, like the dentist work. Yeah, especially when he was just, like, I mean, he was sick the whole movie, but, he, like, he got worse toward the end where he was just, like, profusely sweating. Like, he just looked disgusting. And, like, I mean, that's yeah. a testament to you know, the crew that's helping him look that way. And also him. I mean, he genuinely looked like he was dying. So, I mean, his performance really was honestly probably the best I've seen of Dustin Hoffman. And I I really can't think of one that rivals it. Joe Buck is just one of the funniest characters to me, just because he, he switches on a dime. Like he goes from being this really nice guy. And then he like starts yelling at rats. He's like, no, I'm Joe Buck. I know who I am kind of thing. He's always trying to validate who he is when in reality he has no idea who he is and he's trying to figure that out, which I think is kind of cool. That is something I appreciate about his character is like he has no shame in the fact that he's dressing as a cowboy walking around New York City, which is weird, but he has no shame in it. That's who he is, but he also is ashamed of who he is or is at least afraid to admit. Ashamed of his past, maybe? That and like he's afraid to admit who he is in a way. Like you yeah. could you could especially that scene in the movie theater with that guy. Well Andrew and when he's with the girl later on in bed. Yeah. He's like, This and is then, the first time that's ever happened, blah blah yeah, blah. Yeah. Like I'm sure I mean some uh, a struggle and he definitely impersonates it in a way that I'm sure is pretty accurate to that type of person that's trying to hide that type of trait, you know? Mm-hmm. So no, it's, I agree. It's crazy. Do you know how many Oscars this ended up winning? It won three. It won three. Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Director, and Best Picture. Okay, some pretty big ones. Yeah, because I did see that both John Voight and uh, Dustin Hoffman were competing for lead, but lost against John Wayne for True Grit, who they reference in this movie, (laughs) which is just like, what the fuck? And apparently, John Wayne like completely disapproved of this movie and was all ultra conservative like and the movie i joked about saying oh it stars john wayne or whatever it's midnight cowboy because i'm a yeah and he won best actor fucking john wayne um so i don't it but it this is one of those movies where i think the characters are developed so well where it leads to such an emotional climax and this movie is 50 plus years old so we're gonna talk about the end of it but when they're just on the bus and you just know he they he's going to get him there no matter what. He'll do whatever he needs to. So he like he beats up that guy and takes his money and whatnot. And the weird thing about that guy, it's almost like he got a kick out of Joe Buck beating the crap out of him. He's beating him up and he almost looked like he was in a euphoric state. He was just like, oh, John, I deserve this or Joe, I deserve this. I deserve this kind of thing. And just seeing him erupt. But doing it for his friend almost makes it okay. But that bus ride, you just... Ratso's just getting sicker and sicker, and you just hope they make it to Florida. Did you guys anticipate what was going to happen at all? Or did you think it was going to go a different way? No, I mean, I, I kind of suspected that's what was happening just because his health was just rapidly declining, especially towards the end. He was just getting weaker and weaker. So like he was drenched in sweat towards like the last couple of scenes he was in. Yeah. I'm like, oh, he's he's not doing good. So question, because this is something yes. I thought they never really touched upon what his illness was, but I have a feeling that it was it was probably HIV. 
I thought they Possibly. mentioned something about how like it was the chemicals in the shoe shiner like stuff that he was using that caused that was his uh, because that I don't was know, for just, his dad just or the his way grandfather, the grandfather I think it, it was touching upon homosexual like the sexual sexuality and like I felt like but again it's the 60s and it wasn't really a social commentary until the 80s so maybe maybe that's not the case honestly but. But I, it could be. I did um, think he was going to die. Like, it did seem like it was leaning toward that direction. But I didn't think the movie was going to end where it did, honestly. Yeah. Um, they handled it in a very unique way. Because I feel like in most movies, they would show... Like, of course, we're talking about it now. Ratso passes away on the bus as they get to Miami. Usually, movies don't show what... It, what it looks like if they leave the body somewhere usually it cuts to like mm. a funeral or something like yeah. that but instead they left it on the bus where the people were like oh my god what happened what happened and the bus driver's like don't worry everything's okay in a very realistic way because they kind of i feel like if someone were to pass away on a bus of course they would have an ambulance come and stuff like that but they were also on the road so i can kind of see how that went does that not remind you of Babel a little bit? That scene on the bus in a less horrific way where it's like... Oh my god, that... that I mean, Very different. Very different. Similar context in a way. We're on a bus, someone's dying, like... I don't know. John, you just don't like Kate Blanchett. I didn't take joy out of that scene, but like, it was a crazy <laughs> fucking scene that I can't help but think yeah. about right now for some reason. Babel yeah. was yeah. a good movie. Um, this good movie. Podcast, it was a very good movie. This this movie has fantastic story and great just about everything overall. So, John, you want to give uh, your final thoughts and we'll lead into some special features? Yeah. Um. Honestly, this movie, it did take me a while to get into. But once I kind of realized, like, what it was really going for, the, the story it was trying to tell, like, I genuinely appreciated it. Um, I think it was a really good character study with some really great acting. And I think from the scene where it takes place in that club with everything going on, like in terms of cinematography, like that scene was very well shot. And from that moment on is really when I got into the story. So I think Nate, you've seen it twice, three times now. Like you said the first twice, time yeah. you didn't like it that much. I think for me, like I wasn't that into it, but I could understand like, yeah, this movie definitely is best picture potential just in terms of the, the story that it's telling and that type of thing even in this even in the late 60s it's kind of surprising to me that this one got the recognition it did but john voight dustin mm -hmm. hoffman are like they give just phenomenal performances um so yeah it, it really is a great movie not for everybody but it is very good so i'm gonna go ahead and give it i think for a first time watch i'm gonna go with a three and a half just for now i want to give this movie another chance it probably it's gonna be a while but at some point, maybe the first half of the movie will actually resonate with me a little bit more. But as of right now, I'm going to go three and a half out of five. Okay. All right. How about how about you, Mr. Ducky? Do uh, cowboys yeah. like duckies? I fucking hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I was, yeah, I was surprised by how much I actually found myself enjoying Midnight Cowboy, especially because I didn't have much expectations. I mean, I knew it won Best Picture, but I... You know, best pictures can be overrated, and I don't think this one is one of them. Uh, I love the performances from John Voight and Dustin Hoffman. I thought that just their relationship and their chemistry was was great. I love the directing of this movie and the editing as well. I thought was incredible. There was one scene in particular where 
uh, Joe Buck kind of has a mental breakdown and is running around New York and is having flashbacks of what, what kind of happened, traumatic incident that happened in the past, and just the cutting back and forth, and it was just excellent. And I also like that this was just kind of a product of its time, like seeing New York through the lens of 1969 or 68, whenever they shot it. I always just kind of like seeing that type of stuff, just kind of a slice of life in, of history. Um, just kind of like the marketing and all that kind of stuff you see on the streets. John actually just mentioned that the party scene was when you actually found yourself getting into it. That would be my one critique or kind of negative is I think that it dragged for me in that scene because the movie's almost two hours. It just dragged a hair for me to just really love it, but still going very fresh with it going four out of five. I think this is a great film. If you have not seen it, definitely check it out. And uh, I would probably pick up the Criterion at some point, especially if I find it at the price that Nate got it at. I en- I enjoyed this movie a lot the second time around. And this movie, I think, did a really good job at not showing stereotypical New York, because I feel like a lot of New York, you see Times Square, you see all this, like the shine, the fabulous, the big city. But in this one, you see like the grungy theaters that like the hookers and the hustlers hang out inside of. And just you see the darker side of it. But these characters are just phenomenal characters. This sent John Voight right into the spotlight. And Dustin Hoffman made it with The Graduate, and this one just bumped him up even higher. So I'm matching Spencer's four out of five. Um, It's not the best, best picture winner out there by far. And I enjoyed it way more than the first time because I actually kind of understood the themes and was able to appreciate it a little bit more. So that's a four out of five for me. But this had a lot of special features. Um, I won't get into the, like the super details about them, just a brief overview. It had a cool interview with John Voight when he was really young, like before, or actually it was after this. Before but, National Treasure? Um, But way before National <laughs> Treasure. Um, Before he got the wrinkles oh and the glasses God, and he had... He had all the info that Nicolas Cage needed by chance. Right, 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 Um, right, right. But he talked about how he got the accent, which to me, his accent seemed way over the top. But apparently when he was trying it out in Texas, he was going to like convenience stores and going, trying to be subtle about it. And then when the people he'd go, uh. Uh, yeah, excuse me, can you uh, show me where the uh, closest restaurant is? And then they'd be like, oh, yeah, boy, it's like, and they would be like really over the top. And so he realized he could be more comfortable that way. So that, and he said at some point, there was just a day where it clicked and he just was Joe Buck. He could just switch back and forth between them and just be that character. Because the producers didn't want him, right, for the part. And like he had to really fight for it. They had a like a group of five or six people, um, and then someone knew John Voight, and he went to go do it, and they're like, we don't think this is for you, but you can go and read it, um, read it with somebody, and if they decide that you might be good, we'll audition you as well. And apparently he blew them away, because he, uh, in his audition tape, they belittled him, they just said, oh, you're Joe Buck from Texas. You're not worth nothing. And then that allowed him to kind of become mm, the character yeah. and defend himself. Like he does a lot during the movie. He has to be like, no, I'm oh, Joe helps. Buck. I'm a. It's interesting because like I look at John Voight and I don't think cowboy at all. 
neither do I. Right? It's Not like really. even even no. in this context, you're like, no, John Voight doesn't really fit that role. But like, that's the thing. It's like the character really isn't a cowboy. He's just pretending to yeah, be a cowboy. Yeah, totally so it, right. It, it does kind of work. I did read that uh, Elvis Presley was kind of circling the the role for a little bit, or uh, like wow, his manager thought that. that he could have been a good fit. Uh, but just the dramatic acting chops i don't think it was he was in for it or maybe yeah. he had retired from acting at the time they i think they made the right choice with john voight and there was also a little uh not a documentary i guess they called it a short film where they talked about the crowds that would show up on set because dustin hoffman was in the graduate and that sent him to stardom and how everybody wanted to get to him and then they're like oh john voight Oh, who's that? Oh, he's this cowboy. And they even had like interviews and clips with some random strangers. Like there was this old woman that's like, oh, what are they doing over there? Oh, they're making a movie. Oh, is that the background? Uh, They'd ask him like, oh, if you need any help, you just let me know. Just like a guy coming over to their house and just like, oh, I'll feed you and stuff like that. And just like and he to me, I always think, oh, all the people around are extras. Eh, that's not always the case. Like, a lot of it was just they had to shoot right in the middle of the city and just block off certain spots. Um, and then a lot of times they used real people. But the apartment, um, they didn't feel that it was safe to go shoot in a legitimate apartment like that. So the set designer went to a condemned apartment and tore it all down and brought it to a set and they rebuilt the apartment. And so it's, it's shot on a soundstage, but it's made with the innards of a condemned apartment. And so they're like, yeah, it smelled like puke and shit and all that stuff. And we were on a soundstage. (laughs) Pretty gross. And, and that was kind of cool. Um, but they just did a lot of stuff about how John Voight was so perfect for the role because he was, like what six four six five something like that so they're like we can throw him on the streets of new york and he sticks out like a sore thumb so you have that uh what's that called telephoto is that what it is when it's like a crowd like that and yeah they yeah it was really a long condensed. Sure. yeah yes that's a famous scene like i remember it from mural and the dying girl when earl is doing it walking down the street kind of thing and actually i i like this telephoto shot just because it shows everyone from new york and then the outcast just in yeah. the middle and he's got that shit eating grin on his face yeah exactly this um, fucking stupid like cow printed suitcase that oh was the funniest shit. I'm like, okay, he couldn't be any more a cowboy right now in this moment. Like, are yeah. you fucking kidding me? But there's there's a bunch of trailers, audio commentaries, anything that you could possibly want if you're a massive fan of this movie. But uh, yeah, they've got anything you could want for this edition. So if you guys are out there and you've never seen Midnight Cowboy and you want to, pick up the Criterion edition of it. You will not go wrong. And it's just, it's one of those movies that just made careers out of people they said um that this was a part that would send somebody into stardom and john voight got that role and it worked he probably wouldn't have gotten that role in national treasure if it wasn't for this film maybe not we he might have never been in deliverance or any other movie that isn't national treasure maybe he never would have produced angelina jolie he did win an oscar seven years later with john with jane fonda for coming home in 1976 so haven't mm-hmm. seen it, but maybe on a future episode if you find it for $11 at Martin's. 
Yeah, it's probably not on Criterion, though, so I'm not going to waste my time. Angelina Jolie's his daughter. Wait, she is? Oh, yeah, she is. Yeah. Why'd she get a breast and, reduction and adopt yeah. 63 kids? Um. So, yeah, next okay. week. Okay, that was uh, it for this episode, episode 19 of Midnight Cowboy, but... This was my week. Next week, we're going to Ducky. Ducky, what do you have for us? Oh, Spencer, have you planted any new any new things lately? Plants? Yeah, have or, you planted anything vegetables? lately? Speaking of our next week's film, have you done any gardening? Oh, I mean, sorry to spoil it. Oh, you just kind of hinted at Jennifer Gardner. Um, no. Oh. So next, next week, we are revisiting a film from my collection. I have watched this film once. Uh, so kind of curious to check it out again, and I knew that you guys hadn't seen it, so I think this one could have been a fun fun watch. It is Garden State, a Zach Breff-directed film oh. from 2004. Natalie Portman's in it. Um, yeah, I watched it once. I remember really liking it, and I would be curious to check it out again. So, You know what Garden film State. I always get this mixed up with is uh, Fever Pitch with Jimmy Fallon and Drew Barrymore? The poster is very similar with the two faces. That's probably and, why. Is yeah. Garden State and Fever Pitch just seem like the same movie to me? Both I've never seen, so... One's very upbeat and happy, and one's not really, so... Not. Great. Yeah. Okay, and I'm guessing the upbeat <laughs> one is not the one we're watching next week. Correct. No. Okay. <laughs> and I did not pick it. Spencer did, so... Yes. Yes. Sorry. Is there marital but, uh, drama? That... You will have no. to watch and find okay. out. It is on Hulu as of uh, we're recording it, so if you guys have not seen Garden State and want to come back for that discussion, uh, check it out on Hulu. That's where you can watch it. But this isn't the only show we do. Um, I don't take part in the other one, but uh, John, you want to tell uh, us about the other show? You ready for my spiel? Okay. Well... We do have another show called Mainstream Boys, where we get together, watch the new release films of the week, we grab a big bucket of popcorn, maybe a nice cold cherry coke, and some snow caps, take our pants off, and put our feet up and watch Bella Thorne movies. Uh, yeah, so we talk about new release films of the week. I don't know what we're watching this week, but make sure to stay tuned every single Monday for that podcast. Me and Spencer, sometimes Nate, if marital drama is involved. Uh, that does it for this episode of Collector's Corner. I thank you all very much. So check us out on all social media platforms. Well, we're only on Instagram. Stay... So I was going to say, don't say all. We're literally just on Instagram. So check us out on Instagram at those movie dudes. Well, Podbean counts as a social media. Um, I'm pretty sure iTunes. I'd say I that's a podcast that. platform. It's not really a social media platform. Whatever. Sorry. Wherever you get we're your podcasts. We're on Twitter, but thank we don't you. post. It automatically posts. Well, follow us. God damn it. That's it. Episode. Toodles. Stay physical. Yeah. Let's get physical. Physical. Let's get physical.
guys, thanks for listening to the episode. If you did make it all the way through, maybe you'll be able to take some time out of your day. Head over to Instagram, follow us at those movie dudes. And if you feel like doing it, go over to podbean.com, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify and do leave us a review over there. It would really help out the show. Ultimately, the more reviews we get, the higher up in the algorithm we are. And people like you who enjoy film podcasts can go ahead and find us on that platform. Thanks so much for listening. And as always, stay physical. Everybody's talking at me. I don't hear words. 